0: podcast um, I'll be your host today and uh, got a lot of things to talk about in the uh, in the national news and in the state news first um, I just want to say that there is some good news out there um, this week President Biden said uh, said that he signed the final contracts for a hundred million more moderna and a hundred million more, Pfizer vaccines. So this is great news. We have enough vaccines now for all Americans to be vaccinated. This is wonderful. Um, our long national nightmare will soon be over. We get these vaccines out there, we get them distributed. I mean, this is a step in the right direction. Uh, obviously, there's still some hurdles about getting them out there and, and all that kind of stuff. But, hey, This is fantastic. I mean, this is... We can really give credit to both um, President Trump and President Biden. Um, Operation Warp Speed, under the Trump administration, they were able to get a vaccine for a disease that we had never heard of before in under a year. That is amazing. He deserves credit for that. I mean, that is phenomenal that we were able to get a vaccine back quickly. And then... um, President Biden gets a lot of credit. You know, he's not even been in office a month yet, and he's already now got enough vaccines purchased for us, um, so we can get this thing behind us as quickly as possible. So, this is a, a nonpartisan congratulations. I mean, you know, I think it's wonderful that um, we got all this, and so that is great news. I wanted to start with that because. We just have so little great news anymore. At least it feels like it for me. And um, I don't know. I, it, it wears on you. Um, you know, I read a lot of news, you know, to prepare. And I find it, it really messes with me psychologically and emotionally. I Maybe emotionally more than psychologically. But, um, you know, I, I just... If I spend a lot of time reading the news and preparing, like what I'm going to talk about, man, it it seems like I just get down. And uh, so, I'm I'm happy to have some good news to talk about. Some things that I don't have to blame anyone and be like, it's your fault, it's your fault, you know. This, you know, um, yeah. So, anyway, and speaking of fault, we're in the middle of a, an impeachment trial, which. I might get to you later if uh, we have some time but I wanted to talk about oh another, uh, one other thing that this is just something I found to be funny um it's it it has nothing to do with us and it's not even an issue really it's just but um somebody said that they said we found it the most southern the most southern redneck headline ever and it's, it's from Alabama, and the headline reads, a teen was reunited with his pet rooster that he lost at an Alabama Cracker Barrel after a Civil War reenactment. I mean, I just thought, this is hilarious. Like It's like playing Mad Libs where you just throw in um, uh, words, southern words, and put them all together, and that's the headline, um, but I'm happy. That this teen was reunited with his pet rooster, um, but yeah, that is just hilarious. Um, let's see here. One, this is just a headline. Um, uh, they have a paywall, and so I can't, I can't get into the article from the Detroit Food Press. But, but um, it, it says that since Governor Whitmer took office. Uh, In 2019, nearly one in four of Governor Whitmer's campaign donations have come from outside Michigan as her national profile has increased. This is something that I want to talk about real quick because it's something that actually has bothered me for a while. But I don't know if I've ever talked about it on here. And honestly, I don't know if I've actually ever talked about it with anybody. It's just something that I've been ruminating about for a while now. And that is that all of our politics has become nationalized, it seems like. You know, um, I, I got this. And I understand that, you know, because of the Internet and these things, we hear about things um, and, and the 24 hour news cycle. We hear about things that and it and it seems overwhelming at times. I kind of guess this goes back to what I was talking about with emotionally drained, because. You know, if there is a mass shooting, we'll just say in Alabama, like we used, that becomes the national headlines all over the country. Where when we had newsprint magazines, and a shooting in Alabama of five people wouldn't be on the front page of the Grand Haven Tribune or the Holland Sentinel or the Detroit Free Press. Because there are local issues. That would be that would be in, you know. Um, you know, in the, in the couple of pages in, you know, um, it would just be an article about things that are happening in the country. But, you know, when we have a 24 hour news cycle and we have the internet every time something happens anywhere in the country, it becomes a national news and the news gleans on it. And I'm not, I'm not diminishing if there's a mass shooting, I'm not diminishing those people's, the victims' lives or anything and saying they aren't relevant or we shouldn't care about them. I'm just saying that it seems like the whole world, the whole world or our whole country is falling apart because we hear every time there's a mass shooting, we hear every time there's a terror attack, we hear every time a person dies of COVID, we hear every time, you know, all these things happen. And so it seems like they're happening to us. It's, you know, it seems like we're inundated all the time with constant barrage of people dying and being murdered, and explosions and bombs and disease. And when really, I mean, yeah, if, if you go around the globe, there are thousands—I—I I, I don't know the number. I'm just throwing out a number, but I know there's at least a thousand people worldwide who die every day. You know, and die and and, and or or die as a result of violence every day. So if you don't hear about that because it doesn't affect you, you only hear every couple of years, you might hear about someone dying that you know, and like, oh, wow, that's horrible. But if you hear every day, this person died, and this person died, and this person, this person was shot, and this person committed suicide, and this person was raped, and this person was blown up in an IED, and, um, and this, this person was killed in the war, and this person had coronavirus, and this person has cancer, and you hear this all day, it wears on you, and you start thinking, my God, the world is falling apart. Like Everyone's dying. I mean, it's just there's death everywhere. And trust me, I'll, I'll, I'll make my point. Um, I'll bring this all together. But what I'm trying to say is that everything has become um, personal, and everything has become on a national level we hear about it, or sometimes on a global level, but certainly here in the United States, we hear about these things on a national level. So the first time I thought about this was in New York City. Um, This was a couple of years after 9-11, and there was a big deal being made on the news about um, a a group of um, Muslims, I guess. I I don't know how to refer to it. And I'm and I'm not being, I'm not trying to be insensitive here or anything. I'm just saying there was a group of Muslims who wanted to open a mosque. Okay, see, there's nothing, nothing bad here, nothing racist, nothing anti, you know, anti-Islam. They wanted to open a mosque um, near the site of 9/11. Uh, I, I don't know their motivation. I don't know any of that, I, and and I don't think it's really relevant necessarily to the story. But the point was. The entire country was talking about this. It was on the national news. It was on Twitter. It was everywhere. Everyone was debating whether or not this mosque should be allowed to be built near 9/11. And and that was when it first occurred to me that why are we in Michigan? Because I I had some people at church and I were discussing it, and some of them had very strong views that there shouldn't be a mosque near 9/11. And I remember thinking to myself. I don't know why we in Michigan are even debating this. It has nothing to do with us. You know, that is a local issue of New York City. They will get to decide whether or not there's going to be a mosque there. I don't know why we in Michigan are arguing about it and why people are getting hurt feelings because some think that people are unfairly blaming all Muslims for what happened 9-11. Other people are saying, you know, I mean, you know, there was just this huge debate. And, and I started thinking, when did whether or not there's a mosque in New York City become an issue that the rest of the country cared about? And then I continued to notice it, like with the, the Confederate flag in South Carolina, there became a big debate as to whether or not they should keep that up there. And again, I'm seeing people from all over the country and, in fact, all over the world. I saw people from England and other people saying they need to take down the Confederate flag. They need... You know, it's a sign of racism. It's the, and I thought, what does that have to do? Why are people from England weighing in on this? Why are people from Hawaii weighing in on this? This has nothing to do with them. It's the state issue. If if the people of the state want to keep up the Confederate flag, they can keep up the Confederate flag. If they want to take it down, they can take it down. It has nothing to do with us. It doesn't affect my life at all. And then, you know, we saw it with the the statues. You know, again, everybody weighing in on whether or not this Confederate statue should remain up. Um, and here's where I bring it back to politics. We saw it in the Alabama Senate race uh, a few years ago. I don't think, I think it was in 2018 when Roy Moore ran against Doug Jones and you had everybody jumping in, you know, talking about it, um, you know, who they wanted to win. And so it's something that I've started to notice more and more is our elections are becoming nationalized. Even our state elections where everybody is weighing in like here and this is where I take it back to one in four of Whitmer's campaign donations come outside of Michigan because there are people in the rest of the country that are deciding that they like Whitmer and they want to donate to her campaign because they want her to win in Michigan a state that they don't even live in you know instead of letting the people of Michigan make the decision, as to who we want to be our governor, they they are becoming national figures, and and this is this is true, I and mean, this is not just a knock on Whitmer, and it's not just a knock on the Democrats. It's all the parties. I mean, um, you know, Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio and Lindsey Graham have become national figures. They aren't, you know, Rand Paul, um, Nancy Pelosi, uh, you know. Uh, and I know Nancy Pelosi is Speaker of the House, so it's a little different. But, but you know, all of these candidates in the Senate and in the governorships are getting to a point where their election is local, but they are national. Uh, I hate to use the word celebrities, but, but they become celebrities, basically, where everybody in the country is donating to campaigns. I mean, you saw in the South Carolina campaign between Jamie Harris and and Lindsey Graham, that campaign broke records because they were getting money. Both candidates were getting money from all over the United States. They were fundraising um, for the South Carolina Senate seat. Why are they doing that? They represent the people of South Carolina. That should be who's giving them their money. That's who they should be accountable to. Um, Really, for the most part, I shouldn't even know who the – Senators from South Carolina are, because it should be so irrelevant to me, because they don't represent me. You know, the, the fact that we're starting to nationalize all elections disturbs me, because now if you can if you can get the support of even 1% of the American people, and you get 1% of the American people to give you a dollar for your campaign, you can raise a ton of money. Where if you are if you can only go to Michigan, if you're the governor and you're wanting to or if you're wanting to run for governor of Michigan, and like a okay, let me back up. If you're if you want to run for the governor of Michigan and, and you can appeal to one percent of all of Americans across the country to give you money and to give you support, then then you can you can run a good race in Michigan, but if you have to only rely on Michigan donations and support, then it's, it can be very difficult. You have to be an exceptional candidate to win and to raise money. And that's my point is that we're starting to see them going beyond their local, you know, their constituents and raising money from people who don't know them, who don't have to suffer the consequences of their actions, like we'll say with Governor Whitmer. There are people all around the country women who think it's just great to have a female governor, whether or not she's any good is irrelevant. We need representation. So we live in California. You know, we have we'll give money to uh, Governor Whitmer for her campaign because we want to stand with other women. They don't live here. They don't know if she's doing a good job or not, and if she does a horrible job, it doesn't affect them. You know, and so that's that's what I mean that. I don't feel like I'm making my point very very well, but it's bothered me for a while that we have nationalized issues and nationalized campaigns to the point where the whole nation is riveted. Well, the Georgia election just earlier this month, I think it was on, um, oh, the 5th or 6th, I can't remember, 4th, 5th or 6th. It was slightly before the riot at the Capitol. And, um, the whole nation, uh, you know, I watched all the different networks and they were all, you know, Fox, MSNBC, CNN, um, all of them were doing live coverage of the Georgia Senate election. Now, true, in that case, I have to make an exception because in that case, uh, the the, uh, the the Senate was so close that um, it would it would decide. If they had a tie or they had the major, or the Republicans had the majority. So I, I can, I can, for that one, I can excuse them a little bit for doing live coverage of a Senate race because, you know, it, it would have thrown the Senate. It, it, the balance of the Senate was, ah, uh, the Senate was in balance. Um, control of the Senate was in balance. There's what I'm looking for. I wish my brain was in balance today so I could, I could talk properly. So I can understand that one, but my point is, you'll start to notice this more and more, and now that I've said it, I'm sure that you'll start noticing that that there are a lot of issues that they have taken and made national, even though they really only have state or local implications, and um, so anyway, that, that just disturbs me a little bit, that, um, that they're going outside of their constituents, they're going outside of the people of Michigan to and i'm just going to talk about her specifically even though i know she's not the only one doing this but it does bother me that they are relying on other people to fund their campaigns and to give them support instead of the people that they're supposed to represent it just it just really rubs me the wrong way it really gets under my skin of it um and these people have no idea what she's like and i'm not i'm not right now i'm not going to say whether she's good or bad i mean i think everyone knows my views on that i'm just saying that in an instance like this nobody knows they only know what they hear on tv they don't they don't have to live under that governorship so it's real easy for us to say well i think the governor of montana should be this person or i think the senator from alabama should be that person because it doesn't affect me you know it doesn't matter if that person's a tyrant or if that person is a a good person, or if that person's a liberal, or if that person's conservative, you know, um, we can vote for the worst, you know, uh, kind of like a few years ago they did that on American Idol where a lot of people just called in and voted on American Idol and they voted for the worst possible people to get the worst people to stay in the competition, you know, just to kind of just throw a wrench in the whole thing, you know, um, and and we can easily do that, you know because we don't have to suffer the consequences so we can, you know, we can support somebody that might not be any good, but, Oh, I just think it's funny. Their name's funny. Or I think they'd be a disaster for, for that state. And I want to see that state punished for whatever reason. So let's, let's give that person some money and help give them support. You know? So I just, it's just something that bothers me. I'm not going to keep going on about it, but, um, I just think there's a problem when the governor is more popular outside of the state than inside of the state. And that's where they raise their money from and their support. So we'll keep an eye on that. That um, it, just, eh, it just bothers me. But anyway, the AP, the Associated Press, has an article that came out on February 10th by David Eggert. And it said, delayed aid may slow vaccines. The Senate has a $2 billion plan, says Whitmer. Um, And it says, Governor Gretchen Whitmer on on Tuesday pressed state lawmakers to allocate billions. It's billions with a B. in federal COVID-19 aid warning that a delay could slow Michigan's vaccination rate and efforts to reopen schools and help ailing businesses. The push coincided with Senate Republicans' release of two point two billion coronavirus or two point two billion dollars in coronavirus relief plan, which is less than half of what the Democratic governor proposed spending on one three weeks ago. We may fall on the priority list of supplies and as a result see a slowdown in our vaccination rate, Whitmer said during a press conference. This is a very real threat. Six weeks after Congress and then Donald Trump enacted the most recent round of funding, the GOP-led legislature and governor have not agreed to disperse the aid, which would go toward things such as vaccine distribution and virus testing, K-12 schools, businesses, emergency, emergency rental assistance. Asked how much vaccine Michigan could lose if it ran into funding problems, Wimmer said it's hard to put a specific number on it. There There was some movement on the spending issue Tuesday. Senate Republicans unveiled their own proposal less than a week after House Republicans approved nearly three point six billion dollars in spending, including more than two point six billion dollars in federal funds. GOP legislatures contend there is no need to release all five billion dollars in federal aid immediately. Instead of issuing a blank check for the governor to use without a detailed plan or Our plan funds our state's most pressing needs and saves additional resources so we can continue to assess the situation and have the ability to respond to problems as they arise, said Senate Appropriations Committee Chairman Jim Stamus, a Midland Republican. Whitmer countered that meeting it out in tranches is foolish because it undermines our ability to keep Michigan at the top of the list for the supply chain as we are addressing COVID needs. The state legislation, unlike the House bill, would not tie school funding to the governor agreeing to cede the state health department's authority to prohibit in-person instruction or sports to local health officials. It would, however, cut nearly $10.4 million of spending to eliminate roughly 62 jobs at the Michigan Occupational Safety and Health Administration and Liquor Control Commission. Both agencies have fined businesses for violating COVID-19 restrictions. Under the Senate plan, 500 million in state funding would be used to offset businesses' property tax payments and licensing and inspection fees and to boost the Unemployment Trust Fund. Whitmer in late December vetoed legislators' attempts to deposit tax dollars into the fund, which is supported by unemployment taxes assessed on businesses. The governor, who reiterated her call for schools to offer in-person instruction by March 1st, is at the latest said federal and state funds would help with that goal and with addressing pandemic-related learning loss. The Senate proposed nearly $1 billion in school aid, about half what Whitmer and the House suggested, wanting to wait to appropriate nearly $1 billion more. Any plan that fails to allocate the full amount of funding intended for Michigan schools would only hurt our students and leave them further behind their peers in other states, said Robert McCann, Executive Director of the K-12 Alliance of Michigan, which includes districts in Wayne, Oakland, Macomb, Genesee, and St. Clair counties. Under the House plan, schools that provide face-to-face learning by February 15th and for the rest of the academic year would get more funding than those that remain virtual only. In-person learning can happen safely, which is why it's a primary focus for our, of our budget, said House Speaker Jason Wentworth of Farwell. All right. Yeah, that um, uh, was some good stuff there. Um, I kind of like the Republicans' plan there about meeting out that money slowly. You don't want to just give, uh, you know, $5 billion was it? Um, I can't remember the number offhand. Just off, you know, just, just hand it to them with no strings and say, do what you will. I, that's how money ends up getting lost, stolen, misappropriated. You know, you give them a little bit of money here and there to, uh, you know, to use as they need it, And then if they need more, they can come back and ask for more. This is how it used to be done, um, on the federal level and on the state level all the time where the governor or the president would have to go to the Congress and ask for money. You know, um, Abraham Lincoln used to, um, I don't know if he complained about it, but he used to talk about that with his wife that, you know, how he used, he would have to go, um, and ask, basically, beg Congress for money. You know, during the Civil War, like f- for, for things. Uh, I'll give you the context. Mary Lincoln wanted to renovate part of the White House. She wanted new wallpaper. She wanted to get some furniture for the White House, and that would require Abraham Lincoln to have to go to the Congress, hat in hand, and ask them, "Can I have some money to work on the White House with?" And he just told his wife, you're going to have to make do because I'm embarrassed. You know, I keep going to them asking for money for our troops, for f- food, for supplies, for ammunition, for you know, all these things. I'm really going to feel awkward having to go to the Congress and saying, hey, can I have some money for pillows and cushions and wallpaper and, you know, things like this. You know, and so it kept the budget down a lot you know so the president only went when there was something really important to uh that he needed you know and in this case he was willing to go for the troops but he wasn't going to go just because the wife wanted new curtains um so my, my point with that is that there used to be a time when presidents and governors had to go to congress and ask them for money you know and then well that's not enough and then you know they say well you know that's not enough I need more and the Congress would say we want to know what you spent the money on we want to see a detailed account and they'd have to provide it and then and then the Congress would decide whether you know they should give them more money okay okay you yeah I can see where you spent all that money all right yeah we'll give you some more we can see that it costs more than you anticipated or they'd look at it and say what were you spending you know 500 dollars on a hammer for um, we're not giving you any more money you know you shouldn't have you shouldn't have wasted the money like that then you know, so I think it's a great idea to give Whitmer some money because she, she we do need money. I mean, it, we, we have to have some money to run things, and the federal government is giving us funds. But I don't think they should – I think they're exactly right. They shouldn't just hand over a blank check to the governor and say, well, you know, do what you want. Let us know if you need more. No, that's ridiculous. Make her and, – and, and make her or any governor um, itemize what they spend it on. Spend it on what's necessary and make them itemize it. And, and if they want more money, they have to explain where that money went that they gave them and why they need more, why that wasn't enough to cover everything. So I think it's a great idea. Uh, I know uh, politicians aren't used to working with budgets anymore because we've gotten to a point where nobody cares about the debt, really. It's just, it's unsustainable. Nobody, it's like the elephant in the room nobody talks about. It's like, we want to, you know, go to war. Hey, we've got unlimited money. We You know, the Democrats want universal health care. We've got unlimited money. we got, you know, f- to pay for schools and, you know, um, really the Democrats are, are very bad about it. Republicans are bad about it, like when it comes to war and stuff like that. We always have unlimited amounts of money for war and stuff like that, but. But the Democrats are really bad about always about you know money is no object you know we want to pay for everyone's college let's do it we want to pay for universal health care go for it you know you you know sky's the limit you know whatever whatever you want to do you know just hey let's do it let's let's you know they don't they never look at the price tag so it's um. So it's good that they live on a budget. I think that's great. I, I think that's it's a wonderful thing. Um, anyway, the impeachment, uh, I'll just talk about that real fast. This is the sequel, Impeachment 2, Insurrection. That should be the name of the sequel. Um, impeachment 2, Insurrection, coming to theaters in February. Um, yeah, I don't know. This one... It's mostly it's mostly a show trial. It's done for uh, public consumption and for history. Um, I mean, I don't I don't foresee, and this is one prophecy I can make that I can stand by. I can't see any situa any, uh, any possible way that they would convict, but um, but at this point, that's not why they're doing it. They know that they're not gonna win. It's mostly to, to for history, and to um, put the blame on him. So, and and it will be, it will be, uh, whether fairly or not, that can be debated. But it will be for for the rest of his life. Trump is going to be known as the president who incited insurrection on the Capitol. I mean, it's it's going to be in the history books. It's it's going to happen. Um, you know, it it may be wrong. I don't know. I'm not going to argue that, but I'm just saying a lot of unfair things happened. Herbert Hoover got blamed for the Great Depression. Uh, Republican Herbert Hoover got blamed. He's still blamed for the Great Depression. It happened just a few months after he took over. He had nothing to do with it. and But they still, in history books, he is labeled as one of the worst presidents because the Great Depression happened on his watch. Um, it's just how it it's just how it is. I mean, and that's what's going to happen with Trump. He's going to be, history is going to remember him as the president who, you know, incited insurrection or to a coup or whatever you want to say. He's going, you know, this is what this is about. This is cementing his place in history. Uh, in their mind, it's the worst president in history. You know, the only president, the great villain of, of history. Uh, our version of Stalin or Hitler or, you know, that always they can taint his name as traitor, insurrectionist, um, whatever. So that's what this this uh, impeachment is about. It, they, they don't hold out any hope that they're going to win over 17 Republicans. Um, they might get a handful. They might even get uh, 10. That's really unlikely. But they might. but They're not going to get seventeen, and they know it. This is this is more about destroying him for history, making it so that he can never run again, um, putting his name through mud, and ruining ruining him uh, financially. You know, making sure that nobody does business deals with him, making sure that he, you know, that uh, people take the Trump name off of their buildings and things. You know, so that's what, that's what really this is all about. Um, you know, don't don't think for a second this this that they think they're winning over anybody. Um, that's the point of this. It's nasty. It's ugly. It's politics. Um, but that's the truth. That's it's. They just want to ruin him, for all of history, so that he'll never. So that he'll never. Uh, be respected in the future. Um, yeah, it's pretty unfortunate, but that is what's happening. So there is a method to their madness. That's why they're going through this, even though it's a waste of time and money, and even though there are much bigger issues to be dealing with. That's why they're doing this. It, it has nothing to do with them thinking that they're going to get away with something. There's a reason why they're doing it. It's it's it, There's an actual reason, and that is to destroy him, to destroy his name, his reputation, his credibility to keep him from ever running again to, I mean, they don't care if he goes to jail or not. I mean, there might be some who want him to go to jail, but they don't, that's not what they're after. They're after just destroying him, um, personally, politically, financially. everything. So, um, so that, you know, time will tell how that works out, but maybe I'm just being cynical, but I, I really think that that's, that's what they're going to do. It's, it's unfortunate. It seems like it happens to Republicans a lot. You know, Like I said, Herbert Hoover happened to Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon did not order the Watergate break-in. He covered it up because there were people in his administration who knew about it and didn't put a stop to it. But you still will hear people saying that Richard Nixon um, had his people break into the Watergate building and try to Get secrets about the election and all that, and we don't have enough time to go into all that. But it's not true. Uh, I mean, he was wrong. I'm not. I'm not defending him, saying everything he did was right. But, but they've labeled him as being well until until Trump. They labeled him as being the most crooked and uh, horrible president in history, and he he really wasn't. He was. Uh, a lot of mistakes, a lot of bad judgment, but he didn't. He, the only crimes he committed was covering up obstruction of justice and things like that. He did not order break-ins. He did not try to spy on his political enemies. He did not um, do any of these things. And now, we're having this with, with Trump. I mean, they're, they're looking to destroy him for history. It's just unfortunate, and we'll see. It, I, I think it'll work. We'll see. I could be wrong. Hopefully, I am. Hopefully, he might be able. Trump may be able to uh, repair his reputation. Nixon did it, but it Nixon's case it took about twenty years. So, um, but he was able to finally, even though there's still a lot of people who dislike him and things, but, but it, at least among Republicans, I mean, he had, he was persona non grata from Republicans for a long time but they came around and you know by the time he died he was considered an elder statesman in the Republican Party he was he was well respected among Republicans never respected among liberals but and that could happen with Republicans I mean that could happen with Donald Trump that after over time as this thing all settles down his reputation might come back but that's but that's what their goal is is to destroy him on every level, so, unfortunate, but that's what happens, all right, well, there's probably more I could talk about, but I've only got a few minutes left, and I don't want to start something, and then, you know, have to drop it partway through, but so, anyway, um, sorry this is so short, but I'll, I'll talk to you guys next week, all right, bye everyone.